Welcome back to the More Than Mothering podcast, episode number 15. I'm your host, Crystal Hardstar from The Gentle Counselor, where I specialize in perinatal mental health and parenting support. On today's podcast episode, we're joined by Danika from Little Bloom, and she is an education mentor and consultant. And we're going to be talking a bit about parenting from a place of fear today. So I'm really excited for our chat. I think this is going to be a really relatable one and hopefully eye-opening for some of you as well. So welcome to the podcast, Anita. Hello, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I feel really honored um, to be able to share some of my um, insights and experience with you and your followers today. And do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself and about your business and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I am Danika. I am based in beautiful Fremantle in Western Australia. Um, I have a very lively three and a half year old daughter who has just started pre-kindy. So we're very much deep in um, the three-year-old challenges at the moment, but seeing every day as a beautiful new adventure. So that's been keeping me on my toes. Um, But outside of that, I am an early childhood teacher, um, but I have also been lecturing and tutoring at a university with the early childhood team. So getting to um, be part of the educational journey for some undergraduate early childhood teachers, which has been great. Uh, And on top of that, I also do some practicum supervision. So when these pre-service teachers go out on their placements, I am um, also acting as another port of call or a pillar of support for them on their placements. So it's um, been a pretty incredible journey so far and I feel really lucky because I've been able to pick up a lot of insights from lots of different areas. It's not just one place that I've had some experience and gathered some insights. So um, it's been very eye-opening, some very steep learning curves in there, but pretty great so far. Um, And then I just kind of thought with um, just having so many conversations, not only with teachers, but with so many parents that you can find so much information out there that it gets quite overwhelming and there's a lot of background noise out there. Um, And I found that a lot of this background noise was people sharing information purely based on survivor bias, you know, the things that either um, how they were parented or how they were taught and then they're using these strategies and they think that they're effective strategies and more often than not they are, but they're not necessarily based in evidence and current research. And I felt like I could be a bridge and kind of bridge that gap between um, the research base and practical applications of it. So that's where Little Bloom came from. That's so amazing to hear some of your story. And yeah, definitely. I can even relate to what you're saying about having a background in education, because not only do you very quickly get an experience with at least 30 students pretty much at one time, but, and then also supporting parents or siblings through that process. And how amazing that you even do lecturing and supporting like the next generation of teachers coming into the profession. And yeah, it's a lot of noise out there in the parenting space. It's very overwhelming. And I feel like the market's getting saturated now. And even just me using the word market, then it feels like so many people are jumping in as a way to make money in parenting, whether that's from like sleep stuff or feeding or behavior. And then I think there's the few like yourself who work in education, understand all the nuances, not only of child development, but of treating and being with the child in front of you as a unique individual, rather than just thinking that there's like one clear cut way of parenting every single 
child, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes to see that. And then also, yeah, push you into your own business and things that light you up and energize you and the way that you want to support families, which is parents and children, right? Just for like the greater good and hopefully see that positive ripple effect. There's so much that goes into it and being inspired by the kind of work you do. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. And I've seen some key themes come out in that a lot of the people who refer to themselves as parenting experts, which is not me, by the way, um, I will never call myself an expert in any area because I'm a lifelong learner. And I don't think there's any way that people can know everything about children. But some of the messages that I'm seeing is that it's very black or white. And quite often, um, strategies are presented as like do this or don't do that and if you do this you're going to harm your child mm-hmm. but it's like you said there's so many nuances to it that it's just not that clear cut and there's so many ifs there um, and quite often people come with questions and the first way that you respond to them is well actually it depends because yeah. there's never going to be one right answer across the board Um So hopefully what I share through my Instagram page can help support people, but also I like to be real and I like to be vulnerable. And I know I've got one child at home and there are many people who have more than one child who are just deep in the challenges of parenting because parenting is hard. And if you're presented with this information, not even presented, but slammed with information through social media, you can feel like, other households and families are just nailing parenting Um, and it's just so not the case and so I like to share the stories of the moments that I find really hard as well because I know a lot but I still get it wrong and I still have moments where I'm really struggling and I need to ask for support and it's normal and Mm -hmm. it's almost like people need permission to feel that challenge and to know that they're not alone I think that's really important with parenting Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I've talked about this before as well with my, not only like my own friends, but I think I've talked about it a bit publicly too, is that when you get, like you say, slammed with this information, it's very consistent, like thinking about how much we're on social media, then it starts to turn into perfect parenting. It can feel very much like the standard is so high. And yes, we should have standards. Of course, we want to do what we feel is best for our children, which is why we are so lucky to have you know, the information that we have today, thanks to everyone before us who has done all the research. But at the same time, it should never be to the detriment of your own well-being. And I feel like if anyone's listening to this who's a professional like us working in a similar field, hopefully this is really relatable to hear two people say, we are not experts, we also struggle. (laughs) I knew so much about child development and everything before I had kids, did not make it completely easier I was sure there were some things I was like cool I know about this but still it's hard it's so hard (laughs) yeah and I would wager that we probably feel even more pressure to get it right every single time because you feel like eyes are watching you I remember there was one time um when I actually had a message from someone who followed me and they had seen me in like my local Kmart they're like was that you and I was like yeah it was and I was like oh my gosh was that the moment when (laughs) I was like getting frustrated with my daughter because she wasn't doing something or listening and and then I was like oh no do I have to be perfect in public every time out of fear of maybe someone knowing who I am and judging me for my parenting and it was not a nice feeling at all and I was like this can't be right like surely 
I can't be sitting here acting like I know everything or everything's sunshine and rainbows all the time. Being vulnerable is actually really important, especially if you are working with parents and families. We must be more real with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny you say that because now that I think about it, I've been feeling that pressure as well because the school that my daughter goes to is right across the road from the university that I teach at. And so when I drop her off at school and when I pick her up, I kind of am really, it's like my brain is just on hyper alert going, are some of my students around? And if they are, are they like watching me and how I'm interacting with my daughter at the moment? And I cannot get this wrong. Yes. What an intense pressure. It's like if you just had someone in your home watching you all with a camera. <laughs> oh, it's hard. No, we're real parents. We have real children and we go through similar struggles. But I also think this kind of perfectly suits our chat when we're talking about parenting from a place of fear. So do you want to start sharing some of your thoughts around that topic? Like what is some of the fear or what are the different areas that we may experience fear when it comes to parenting? Yeah. So um, having a three and a half year old daughter, I got put into a really amazing mums group and we still are very close to this day. Um, and then I've got a lot of other friends that also have young children. So I've got a lot of anecdotal research about my conversations with other parents, primarily mothers, but it doesn't exclude fathers at all. Um, and then also from my experiences at school and supporting the parents and the families that come in there. I mean, the last two years I was teaching pre so that's three-year-olds here in WA. And so these parents were having exactly the same thoughts as I was. And I've just had so many conversations around this idea of parenting from a place of fear. And so when I sit down and really think about it, I can see it in three kind of key areas. So it's parenting or using strategies because we're so concerned with how people are perceiving us as parents and this fear of judgment and that people are looking onto our parenting in the moments that are a little bit harder And more specifically, if our children are having big behaviours in those moments or they're having really big feelings and we're out in public, which is just another layer of challenge, that our brains are telling us that these people are looking on and judging us and then we end up using strategies that don't fall within our usual parenting Mm. values. But then another layer to that is that we're so worried that people are judging our children and that they're labelling our children and that they're perceiving their behaviours in a really negative way and you know the typical way that society sees big behaviors from children is that they're either you know in inverted commas they're naughty or they're manipulative and we get so worried that people are labeling our children when they're having what we know are very developmentally normal or developmentally appropriate moments um but they still kind of sit in the back of our mind thinking oh I'm, you know is this what they're thinking about my child I'm going to really have to get them to stop and show them that they're the, mm. the good child Um, And then again, we end up using strategies that don't fall within our values. But then another conversation that I've been having over and over again is parenting from a place of fear of the future and who our children might become. And, you know, I see this in my daughter and I have to stop myself from thinking it. So at the moment, she's going through this thing where she's exploring how to communicate her anger. And so that has turned into some more confronting behaviours. So she's hitting, she's throwing things, she'll go to a table and just wipe everything off the table and throw it on the floor. 
And I have to stop myself in my tracks thinking, oh my goodness, is she turning out to be a psychopath? (laughs) When no, no, she's not. I don't have to be worried about the future. All I need is to see the child that's in front of me at the moment Mm. and to support what it is that she's experiencing right now and stop being so worried about who she might be because that is the future. That's not now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just made me think about one of the most powerful lessons that, um, cause I do circle security with parents is about asking yourself, how am I seeing my child right now? Because yeah. if we're seeing our child in a positive light, despite whatever is going on, we're going to treat them with much more empathy and compassion and support. But if we're seeing our child through the lens of they're bad, they're manipulative, they're, they yeah. are the problem, then we're not going to be approaching with those tools that we want to use, like empathy and compassion, those strategies, like you were mentioning, you're going to be treating them like they are the problem. You're going to kind of be confirming that, or it's very more likely going to escalate or cause other issues in a different way. And more likely for you then to feel perhaps like guilt or shame after the fact when you reflect and think oh that's not actually how I wanted to deal in that moment and that's not to say that we're going to get it right every moment either absolutely not just something to to consider is if I were to really think about how I'm seeing my child which one am I am I experiencing more and how can I work on getting to that place of seeing my child through a more positive compassionate understanding lens Yeah. Mm. And it can be really hard too, because I mean, life is busy and there are so many layers that we all have. You know, if you're somebody who stays at home with children, that is a form of work that you've got. Mm -hmm. And you've got many layers onto that as well. You might be somebody who stays at home with your children, but works part-time. You might be somebody that works in a full-time capacity, but every single variation of that, just added layers and added pressures. And a lot of the time we're feeling stressed. You know, a lot of us have to-do lists coming out of our ears. We've got the mental load. We've got life admin that we need to do. And when we're feeling stressed, it's harder to stay aligned with our values and Mm. use those strategies that are like our ideals for parenting. And then we veer off course and then we might say something or do something that lies outside of those ideals. And then we feel guilt and shame And then we beat ourselves up for not being that perfect parent rather than giving ourselves some empathy and some compassion and some grace and that we all will mess up at some point. Um, But it's what you do when you mess up that matters. It's not the messing up. It's what comes afterwards. Exactly. Like you with your circle of security would talk so much about ruptures and repairs Mm. and ruptures are going to happen. Um, repairs are a choice and more often than not you should choose the repair after a rupture and reflect on what happened and what went wrong and some things that you can maybe do better next time but um, I don't know have you heard of um, Dr Vanessa Lapointe? No. So she is a, um, a child psychologist I think but she introduced me to the notion of failing better next time mm. and I just I love that so much because like we've spoken about, we put so much pressure on ourselves because we think the perfect parent exists because that's what social media tries to tell us. But the concept of failing better is just that, is that in those moments where you do fail, take some little snippets from it, apply them next time and fail better rather Mm. than aiming for perfection, just fail better. 
I love that so much. What like a lighthearted way to kind of put it, because I think we all kind of giggle at even that language of just fail better. And it kind of makes it a bit more lighthearted, which I think is good. We need that's the whole point, right, to not put so much pressure on ourselves. But short little mantras like that can be so useful in the moment. And we're only talking about social media here. There is so much more that we could be talking about in this conversation about where the judgment comes from and how society is built that way and the pressures on parents and mothers and women and all that kind of stuff. And we're not going to touch on that today, but I would hope that most people listening understand that it's actually not you. All of this does not come from you. If you have people telling you that, please don't listen to them because we're definitely being conditioned into feeling this way and feeling like our role as a parent does have to be perfect. We're just talking about how in social media in particular, it can really exacerbate that. Yeah. 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 And the information shared, what I worry about, and I'm really mindful in the information that I share is that when parenting is portrayed as this black and white, you know, you've got strategies that you should use and strategies you shouldn't use. I really worry that that leads to people doubting their own parenting intuition yeah. and then ignoring what their heart or their minds or their gut is telling them about their child and going with something that they've read on social media instead that might not fall within strategies or practices that they think are aligned with their family, but they've seen someone share this information so they're giving it a shot. Yeah. Really worry about that. Yeah, that totally gets me too. I'm like thinking of when I've seen those examples and I get really bothered when people really nitpick at the words and phrases you use. I'm trying to think of one recently. It's like the whole, I won't let you hit your sister. And then I saw someone criticizing, like, what do you mean you won't let them? Are you trying to control your child? And I was thinking, oh, that's so frustrating because that was just an example that someone gave to trying to implement this whole thing we call gentle parenting because people are struggling with how do I set a boundary with my child? And that was one example. And I was like, really, are we criticizing so much that we're getting to this point of perfect parenting? So even I myself have had to unfollow some accounts that I see do that a lot because I'm like, that's just too much now. Mm. Like, (laughs) like, it's like we had the standard and then people are going beyond the standard and that might work for some people, but that is not going to work for a lot of people, especially if you are already trying to parent in a way that is different to what you experienced growing up. Yeah. It's not the same like playing field. We do not have the same toolkit. And then there are other things like um, parents with a disability or neurodivergent parents or single household, single income, like just all these things. And there's just no possible way, just like we're talking about how there's no black and white way to treat your child. There's also no black and white way of giving advice and support to parents because just like our children are unique individuals, so are we. And yeah. I know at, before Danica and I started recording, we were talking about even things like regulation and how to regulate your body. And so many people don't know how to do that because yeah. we're trying to teach our kids that at the same time as we're trying to figure out for ourselves how to yeah, do and we that. Taught. Kind of stuff. We weren't taught how to do that. No. Or we've, we've learned now as like 30 plus year olds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is amazing again. Like, We've got so much information at our fingertips, which can be fantastic because I feel like people are starting to use the language of emotional regulation and co-regulation and dysregulation and really understanding what those terms mean, Mm. which is so important when it comes to supporting children and their big feelings. But at the same time, it's tricky because we're learning it and we're trying to teach it and model it 
and support the development in our children of regulation and trying to do it all at once is just just it's yeah. really overwhelming yeah especially when you're dysregulated at the same time as they are and yeah. just understanding that regulation techniques like you said so great we have this information we have examples of what to do but the point of it as well is not that you're meant to feel like happy all the time and I yeah. think that's another addition to this, not only for ourselves as parents, but also how we see our kids. We think, oh, if I do this strategy once, that's it. Problem fixed overnight. Woohoo. And it's like, no, this is going to be repeated like thousands of times. <laughs> yes. And it will be painful and uncomfortable. And some days you'll do it and some days you won't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's what the research says. It's when children are around five or six years of age that they can begin to independently exercise regulation strategies for themselves. And so you think about all of those big feelings. I know at the moment with my daughter, she's probably got maybe two, two to three moments a day of like really big feelings that I need to sit down and support her through them. And so you think about the cumulative effect and the amount of times that we have to sit down with our children and to go through the process of support and co-regulation up until they're, five or six years of age, and I mean, you might be seeing it with your own child now, um, their ability to bring in all of the strategies that you've been using with them tirelessly and being able to implement them independently in a higher capacity now. Yeah, definitely. And I was sharing as well, again, with Danica before we started recording, that I had a really difficult drop-off with my daughter this morning at school and she is about to turn seven. And so even for myself, that's not something common. Usually drop-offs are fine, but just this particular morning for various reasons, that's what happened. And we like to do the blowing out on the candles where you put your hand up and they kind of take a deep breath in and blow out as if they're blowing down each of your fingers like candles. And she was able to do that, but that's because we've spent so many years bringing in that technique at certain points in time. And I have seen her do that independently. I've seen her do that with her little brother, who's now four, which has been really adorable to watch. But still, I couldn't expect her to do that completely on her own. So still, co-regulation is very much a part of our narrative. And I know we're also talking about that fear of who our children might be in the future. I also think, wow, she's learning this now and she's seven. Well, before then too. And I was like 30 when I started learning about this. And I'm just thinking, wow, what a difference that's going to be of who she is going to become as well, because someone could easily see her as, oh, look at that child who is still not settled in school or whatever the story they might be like we were talking about earlier. Whereas I see that in such a different light, like, okay, wow, she was comfortable to show me those emotions. I know how much inner work I was doing in that moment to not rush her to work um, and to take a couple of minutes with her to calm her because I didn't want to leave her crying alone on the school playground and bringing in a strategy that actually worked. So when I left, I felt good about the situation. And again, that may not be capable every time, but for me in my morning this morning, it actually was one of those times where I was like, great. That worked out and everyone got settled in the end. And so we also have to remember to take those wins when we can because it might not look like that every single time. Yeah. So when you were doing drop-off this morning, did you find that you were needing to um, support your daughter while other parents were nearby to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was packed because this was like peak drop-off time. Do you also sometimes feel um, the pressure of people looking on as well? I definitely have. 
Um, but it's interesting you've asked me that because I didn't feel that this morning. However, I think that's just because of how long I've been a parent and how many <laughs> public situations I have had to deal with. So it's kind of like doesn't bother me as much now. But yeah. I I think the the biggest moment I had was actually when I was pregnant and she was two. And we all know how two year olds two-year-olds are and she had the biggest meltdown in the shops and I was also heavily pregnant trying to like pull along this toddler and I remember she ended up collapsing on the road like in the shopping center car park so it was also dangerous and there was an old man walking past and I think I had made the assumption because of his age that he was going to be judging us but instead he actually asked her something about like her toy teddy she was carrying and it snapped her out of it because she was, I guess, sensing like a stranger talking to her. But it was nice because I could recognize like, oh, he was actually trying to help. He yeah. wasn't seeing her as a problem, but he was thinking, here's this big pregnant lady, <laughs> like poor mom trying to get a toddler in the car. I'll say something to help. And it worked. So I think because I was also given that kindness by a stranger, that also helped me realize, oh, not everyone is out here thinking bad things. And even for myself, I'll see a struggling parent in public and I won't think, oh, they can't control their kid. I think, oh, I wish I could go over there and help them. Yeah. I wonder if I could, or would they think I'm judging them because I'm offering help. So then that's like a different narrative I have now. But yeah. I think when you get so used to experiencing kindness from others and then also working on applying self-compassion to yourself that then translates into being able to give that same compassion and kindness to others around you and so yeah. I think for me and my personal experience that was a big turning point for now I feel like I can really zone into my child and I basically ignore anything around me because nothing else matters and my priority was her in that moment and I also think I've created a few scenarios in my head where I'm thinking, what would I say if someone would say something? And I'll have like a snarky answer back or something. <laughs> I think I've like prepared from these fake scenarios anyway. That's never happened. Yeah. 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 So what about for yourself like, though? Oh, in those moments, um, it's so hard because we do become so worried about what others might be thinking about our mm. parenting strategies and about our children. But it's not to say that they're actually thinking that. So just on Tuesday this week, I bring my daughter to a nature play group. And it's a group of, I think there's 20 um, two to five-year-olds and they've all got their parents there. And it's a really beautiful morning. We're out in the bush um, and there's lots of different learning experiences set out. It's not structured so the children can flow to where they feel like they want to go. Um, but on this particular day, they'd had a reptile incursion. So there were snakes and frogs and blue tongue lizards. Um, and it was all very exciting. And my daughter just did not want to eat. And she's like me. She's heavily regulated by food. And I could just see her slowly starting to fall apart a little bit. And we were on the, we're sitting on the mat getting ready for story time. And she got really angry at me for something. I don't quite remember what it was. And so she kicked me. Um, and of course, and my brain is immediately like, oh, I know that she's feeling really hungry and she simply needs some food and that she's feeling very overstimulated at the moment. But there's so many parents around. And what are they thinking? Are they thinking that I'm just this permissive parent who lets my child kick me? Yeah. And are they thinking that my child is like this really violent, aggressive child? Um 
And I, in those moments, I actually still need to try really hard to block out the background noise. So I'm definitely on my way to being able to just focus on my child and I can just focus on her. And I typically don't fall outside of the parenting that I value and my parenting ideas but I have to work really hard to consciously just ignore everyone else around there. Mm. Um, but then we were also met with kindness afterwards. And so one of the other parents had come up to me and said, oh, you know, um, she going through a kicking phase. And I was like, <laughs> yes. She said, oh, you know, my son went through that too. And he was in pre-kindy when it happened. I think her son is four. So he's in kindy in WA now. And she said, oh, I spoke to his teachers about it because I was feeling so worried again, you know, that feeling worried about the future and worried about the narratives that people are thinking about our children. Um, and they said that it can be really helpful to sit down and to write out the times that they're likely to do it because then you can start seeing patterns. And for mm. me, it was around him feeling tired. And I just felt so seen in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then really grateful that there are some amazing teachers out there that are sharing these kinds of messages with parents yeah. and saying, you know, oh, that child, that behavior needs to be extinguished from that child and use a rewards chart. And I felt really grateful for so many different things in that moment that this parent was coming in with some compassion. You know, she was another mama just saying, hey, mama, I see you. And sometimes in those moments, that's all we need mm. is someone else to say, you know, this is hard. You're not doing anything wrong stay by your child. Your child is amazing. Keep doing you. Yeah. That's so nice that they came up and said that to you because I yeah. can only imagine like what a world of difference that makes. Yeah. And you're right. I have actually started to notice a shift in general, whether it's the teachers at my child's school or just other parents, even um, parents that I'm making friends with now, like in the school realm and just realizing how differently everyone's talking about their children. And they're pretty on par with how we parent as well. So I think we are starting to finally see the positive effect of the shifts happening. And that's not going to be the same for everyone or depending on the generation, right? Yeah. But um, hopefully that starts to make it a bit easier. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, especially when you have someone reaching out saying, I see you. Yep, yeah, been there and we're through it as well. Or like yeah. this is what worked for us rather than telling you, you should do this. Yeah. Um, there's certain ways that people can talk to you about that make you feel like, oh, okay, I feel much better about this rather yeah. than being judged. And I, I think it's understandable to have that fear, especially also because we're in this weird world where people are like recording strangers outside, right? Yeah. So also because we put so much of our lives and ourselves on social media with our business I think it just comes with the territory of having this it's so weird right it's like we're putting ourselves publicly yet we also have a fear of being seen it doesn't quite <laughs> make sense but it's much more safer to be behind a screen or a phone than actually out in the real world yeah. um, but it it's it all comes down to I think two main points for me that I would talk to people about, which is one, most of the time people are just going to look at you thinking, glad that's not my kid. Yes. yes. Oh, thank God. That's not me today. Oh. I have to say to parents like, oh, you know, that was us yesterday. Just, you know, that little nod to, I see yeah. you. So yeah. oh, my daughter, no, we were at a birthday party and um, we had two birthday parties one weekend in a row. So one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And on Saturday, my child almost face planted into the cake because she was oh, no. so keen on it. It was this amazing rainbow cake. And then the 
next day, another child face planted into the cake and I could see that the parent was so embarrassed and just mortified. So later on, I went up to them and said, don't worry, that was my daughter yesterday. And we had a bit of a laugh. And I think that's what we need is yes. some camaraderie with parenting. Yes. And to laugh about it. Even yeah. me making that comment, like my husband and I, it's like when you're at a playground, you hear a cry and you're like, oh, and your ears perk up and you go, oh, not my kid. And you kind of yeah. relax a bit. <laughs> we will do that. We'll look at each other and be like, glass, not our kids for once. Or we'll be like, oh, remember when last week it was our kid doing that. And then also the second thing is if someone were to, I, I think we're pretty clearly establishing that majority of the time people are not actually judging or thinking horrible things. And if someone was actually doing that, you, you should not want to be around them or care about their opinion anyway, because that's actually pretty cruel. That's someone yeah. that's quite mean that you wouldn't want in your life anyway. And we're talking about strangers. So the likeliness is you'll never see them again. Yeah. Um. So I think holding on to those two things is... Yeah important as well but do you have any other ideas or strategies that you want to share with parents around I guess the multitude of feelings or experiences they may be having on this topic of parenting from a place of fear yeah I think I mean it's all well and good for me to share this but also want to forefront it with that it's so much easier said than done because in those moments you know, your rational thinking brain is likely to be offline and you're acting from a place of emotion and you can't access this logic. So I just want to forefront that. Um, but it's good to kind of pick the moments to practice these strategies. I think when you know that you're feeling quite calm, you might've had a good sleep, um, you've woken up in a really good mood or you're feeling really positive and they're, they're the moments that it's really excellent to kind of start practicing new skills. Mm. But something that I like doing with any behaviours or um, moments that are a little bit trickier, no matter if they're at home or if they're in public, is to stop before I react and to really tune in with the messages or the stories that my brain is trying to tell me. Um, because at the end of the day, you know you and you know your child so much better than any stranger walking past is going to know. And it's like you need to trust the relationship and the strategies that you're using. And like you said, those strangers who might be very off chance, they might be thinking something negatively about you or your child. They don't actually mean anything to you. They're a little blip on the radar um, and trying to keep that in mind that they don't matter. And what matters is you and your child and your connection and trusting the strategies that you use. Um, and, and so those messages that your brain's trying to tell you in those moments saying, oh, you know, I'm feeling really embarrassed about my child's behaviour because we're out in public. But then would you be feeling the same if it was the same behaviour but at home? Mm. And where does the pressure come from there? And when you start to see the patterns in what your brain's telling yourself, you can start exercising those mantras like you'd said before um, to try and drown it out and just be present and just have you and your child in like this little bubble and everyone outside of the bubble is irrelevant at that moment. That's a good visualization technique as well, because I think that's something else is what kind of a uh, learner are you in that sense? Like, are you someone who's going to rely on that sentence in your brain of see my child in front of me? Or are you visual and you want to kind of do a bubble thing? Or are you more kinesthetic or are you struggling with your sensory overload? Because that's something I want to add to that is that many of those times when my kids were having 
meltdowns in public, I would move us either to the parents' room or I would take us to the car because usually yeah. whatever we were doing could wait um, and wasn't urgent. So I would just try to get us to a neutral place. Plus that was also my way of feeling like I didn't have eyes on me in those times that I was struggling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think also too that there are going to be some times where you kind of just have to accept that you're going to feel panicky and you're going mm. to have these messages and like I shared with the experience on Tuesday at the Nature Play Group is just trying to consciously drown it out, um, acknowledge the feelings that you're feeling, but consciously drown them out so you can focus on your child. Um, and I think that that's maybe one of the things I'm seeing at the moment with the messages around co-regulation is that um, the message shared there is that the parent or the caregiver or the adult needs to be calm in that moment um, they don't necessarily need to be regulated themselves, but mm. just have enough strategies to go, okay, I'm feeling this way, but I need to do this and kind of putting your feelings, not on the back burner, but just it's like a fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so those moments where I'm still feeling panicky and I still get them, um, is acknowledging that, but then also knowing what I need to do with my daughter and just trying to, I guess, convince myself I'm not feeling panicky. Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. And the way that this worked for me, and I also share this with clients, is uh, you can tell I'm like a visual person, which is why I like your bubble idea. I I think of putting whatever my issues are, whether whether that's just like the stress of the day or maybe I got an upsetting phone call or any of those things, right? I imagine putting it into a box and then setting it aside in my mind, knowing that I will pick up that box later and deal with that stuff. Because like you were saying, it's not that we're trying to suppress or ignore our feelings and what's going on. It's that in these moments, specifically when we're talking about parenting, whenever you possibly can choose your child in front of you and responding in the way that you want to parent and then have that commitment and promise to yourself to honor those feelings and deal with whatever that thing is later which could be like calling a friend or your partner or taking that to a therapist or journaling or whatever it is that you can do later when you're not in that dysregulated space with your child and I think yeah. a lot of people miss that because it can feel self-sacrificing too much sometimes and it's just a choice that we're making in that moment to not join our child's storm of dysregulation. It's okay, I need to support them right now because I'm an adult and I can actually deal with my stuff later and they cannot deal with their stuff later. It has to be dealt with now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. When you mess up, and when you're trying to use all these strategies, but you're in sensory overload, and then you do have a bit of a rupture with the child, again, returning to the idea of repair is, um, I think what's important there is learning how to apologize genuinely. Mm. Um, I mean, the other day, again, using an example from myself with my daughter the other day, I was feeling quite heightened. I've missed out on some work time. I've got a really big to-do list and it's just constantly in my head. Um, and I was a bit stressy and something just wasn't going right. And I ended up yelling. I think this was before school drop-off, maybe last week. And then we were in the car and I kind of said to her, you know, I'm really sorry that I yelled before. That was a me thing. I didn't do very well with working through how frustrated I was. 
And then my daughter just said, oh, yeah, that wasn't very good, Mama. I said, I know, I know. I'll really try next time to catch myself before I yell. Mm. And that was the conversation and it was yeah. me owning it. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's an art to a genuine apology. And I don't know if that was a perfect apology. I don't know if the perfect apology actually exists. Mm. Um, but there are ineffective ways of apologising to children and repairing that um, rupture as well Yeah. Um, when you kind of put your actions onto the child and try to have the child become responsible for our actions. Yeah, blaming them. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm sorry I got mad, but you just weren't listening or whatever. It's, yeah. Don't say anything of that. And I, it sounds like your repair was, like, it was well received too, and she was listening enough to respond as well yeah. and share yeah. with you her, you know, fact of the situation. And I'm, I'm the same. So when I get to my worst point is with struggling with yelling as well. And I talk about this openly because... I'm not, again, like we said, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a perfect parent either. So I've apologized to my kids and done repair many, many times, even to the point where my daughter will prompt me to repair. (laughs) (laughs) And I can kind of laugh at myself like, oh no, and kind of, you know, get a bit tense about that. But at the same time, I also think there is no way I would ever have spoken to my parents like that. And here she is feeling so confident and comfortable knowing that she can say that to me or my husband who she does it to him as well and she's like daddy you have to make repair with me now because you (laughs) yelled at me or I didn't like what you said (laughs) and she's really good at calling us out yeah Um, and I think we're also teaching them these skills right these are skills that they will carry with them in their friendships and relationships and work relationships in the future so we must remember that everything we're doing is role modeling mistakes are meant to happen as well. Security and secure attachment doesn't come from never making mistakes. But when a child knows that a mistake or a rupture can be repaired and you've done it in enough of a consistent and predictable way that they get that sort of assurance to know it's coming, that is what is actually going to lead to to a secure attachment. Yeah. How amazing that your daughter feels comfortable in holding you both accountable as well. Like it just it sings volumes about the relationship that she's got with the both of you and how secure that relationship is too. And I can see that starting to come through with my daughter as well, because there's times where I might not necessarily be yelling, but like my voice, I'm raising my voice a little bit. And then she'll look at me and she'll go, it's not good to yell. (laughs) Or she's started now, which I think is amazing. And again, I don't know if it's because she's picked up on the fact that I use it as a strategy for myself or if it's a sign of her like developing emotional intelligence, but in those moments where I'm do coming stressy, she'll come up and put her hand on my arm and she'll say, do you need to have some space? Oh, that <laughs> and is I go, so Actually, sweet. you know what? Yes, I do. And then she leaves <laughs> the room. <laughs> that is so good. I love that so much. And I love that you can share this story laughing as well, because these are things that if we hold in, we could really ruminate on, to be honest. And I think when we share them in such a lighthearted way, like we're doing, really helps alleviate that stress. And also, again, feeling seen. And I hope other people listening to this are relating to what we're sharing and know that you're not alone because it can feel really lonely sometimes. And the pressure is too immense, honestly. It, It really is too immense. And 
yeah, I think there's a true gift in being vulnerable with each other and listening to everyone share their stories and being more real and honest. So thank you so much for your time today, Danica. It's been so lovely chatting with you and sharing our stories and having a laugh. Can you please um, tell everyone where they can find more of you and your work? Yes, absolutely. And again, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed our discussion and I look forward to having many more conversations with you um, on Instagram. I love following what you share. And I mean, I resonate with almost everything that you share. It makes (laughs) me feel a whole body yes, which is, that's a really amazing thing. Um, But if people would like to find a little bit more about me and what I share, you can find me at um, on Instagram at littlebloom.consultancy. Um, so I've got a few things in the works that I will be slowly uh, trickling into my social media over the coming months. Um, but it's a really beautiful space. I think I really enjoyed creating a bit of a community on there. And what I'm really trying to do is to just help people shift their relationship with behaviour mostly in um, changing the narratives that we've been taught to tell ourselves about children's behaviour. So seeing behaviour differently, building up a bank of strategies of supporting behaviour that is in line with current research around child development, around neuroscience, about educational theory, about psychology and bringing in lots of different schools of thinking to use strategies that work with children rather than against them. That's so great. And I had a quick look at your Instagram feed and it's absolutely beautiful. I love the colors and everything that you have looks so aesthetically pleasing, but also it's very, um, your titles are so clear. So it's also really easy to scroll through and find what you're looking for on Danica's page too. So I'll make sure to have your links below for everyone as well to access. Amazing. Thank you so much. I look forward to connecting with um, some of you. And um, yeah, hopefully from this conversation, you're feeling a little bit more seen and less alone and that it's normal to have these thoughts. And there is a way to, I mean, we'd spoken about it before we'd actually started the chat, Crystal, but I don't know if there ever is really a way of moving beyond feeling these feelings, but there is a way of supporting yourself and your child when you are feeling them. And I think that that's important to catch those moments and remembering the idea of failing better next time and not aiming for perfection. Definitely. Thank you so much again, Danica. No worries at all.